Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to episode number 24 of Sports Medicine on Tap. I'm Jason Kopeck coming to you live from Neck of the Woods Brewing Company, as we do each and every Tuesday evening. we got another great crowd down here. i got a lager, and i got the good Dr. Frey with me. Doc, how are you making out this week? Oh, you know, I'm doing great, Jason. I'm excited to have another uh, three-peat guest on our, uh, on our show. Who'd you bring with you? We bring back Dr. Jeffrey Murray, shoulder extraordinaire. Uh, welcome back, Jeff. Thanks, Steve. Good to be here. So in a world where, uh, especially in sports, where analytics, we hear the term all the time, uh, Dr. Mary, I got to admit. So whenever you're on our podcast, the analytics for the show are much, much better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're happy to have you back. Uh, when we first had you, had you on uh, April 14th, it was episode number four, and we were talking about Fernando Tatis and his posterior subluxation. And who knew we'd still be going all this time later? Yeah. I mean, we're almost six months uh, to the day. Yeah. And, you know, we have a similar topic today where we're going to be talking about the anterior subluxations of the shoulder. But I thought it'd be a good time to recap that episode to kind of take a look back on, you know, what our thoughts were back then. And, you know, when we had released that show, we were saying that he would, you know, most likely be looking at surgery when the season was over, they were going to get them through with physical therapy and strengthening and, you know, increasing the range of motion. And I, I think, you know, for the most part, we've been hundred percent accurate on that. Minus the fact that we didn't account for multiple subluxations throughout the season. No, we did talk at that point. We were mm -hmm. a little surprised initially that, that they may not go down a surgical surgical road right off the bat. And um, his issue wasn't, you know, Essentially, it's posterior subluxation, but it's a little bit of a different entity, right? We started talking about a batter shoulder, which was uh, it's a little bit different, uh, kind of a newer um, entity is the mm -hmm. best word for it. A newer entity that we had, had been described. And uh, I do, I do remember thinking and, and saying, you know, a little surprised that uh, not going the surgical pathway, but, you know, if they can get him back and he can play well, it's reasonable. However... The, the clock is ticking and uh, what has time shown us? Right. And Dr. Murray, so the Padres have been eliminated at this point um, and, and they're in a tough division. I mean, the Dodgers and the Giants both have over 100 wins. So they've been eliminated. Are, are we still thinking surgery at the end of the season? So you have to think that they are. But, you know, I, I did read an article came out just talking to him earlier this month where he hopes to still avoid surgery. Right. Um, but at, at some point you start to wonder, you know, where the the team sits him down and talks about what they've invested in him. Um, you know, totally separate injury, but you start to look back at things, you know, like Deshaun Jackson, you know, with the Eagles where they recommended he get surgery. Mm -hmm. He elected to rehab and, and, and do his own, you know, rehab and see how he did non-surgically. Didn't work out, ended up with, you know, season, end, season ending surgery, you know, when he tried to come back. Um, and you worry that uh, this, as we all know from an orthopedic standpoint, can be very consistent where it happens over and over and over again without surgical fixation so i'm not sure there's many orthopedists out there that at this point would tell him not to go the surgical route right ultimately it's his choice wasn't uh, the worst decision at that point in time though right like for sure for sure you, you know when you're playing the way they were at the time he got hurt yeah it seemed to make a whole lot of sense um but you know it starts to then at some point say they're they're eliminated you know yeah. should we talk about getting this thing taken care Let's of and, and moving forward similar to the you know angels not bringing trout back at the right. end of the year like yeah. could he been able to play maybe yeah. but what's the point what was it going to get yeah. him they were already eliminated is that an easier conversation for the Padres to have being that he had a subsequent subluxation in late July missed another 10 games at that point uh, 
Is it like, hey, this is going to be a recurring thing if we don't take care of it? I mean, you would you would think so, but you know, ultimately, it's 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 yeah. really up to him in the end whether mm-hmm. he decides to go forward with it surgically. All they can do is give him a, all the information right. that we know, you know, bears out yeah. as truth. So, be curious to see what happens. So, when we were combing through the episodes, you know, I listened back to episode four, and we mm-hmm. had given a lot of talk about how unique the posterior subluxation was. Right. And we referenced it, right, Doctor Frey? Like, you know, the, the anterior—it's a little bit more common. We know more about it, Far things more like common. that. Yeah. yeah. And then we thought about, it and we're like, well, we never actually did an episode on the anterior subluxation. Yeah, you know, we're just waiting for it. It's going to come. We're yeah. waiting for it, and you yeah. know, it happens all the time. And we just never seem to right. do it. But in week two, Baker Mayfield uh, throws an interception, yeah. and he's going to make yeah, the tackle. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going to make the tackle, and the defensive back makes a you know pretty shifty move and avoids a tackle. And at the last second, Baker kind of sticks his arm out to you know at least save face and get a piece of him as he's running by him. Um, and you see that shoulder just forced backwards. Yeah. His right hand goes immediately to the left shoulder, and he's down on the ground and. And attended to on the field immediately, you know, you know, all, all sorts of concern from the medical staff. They rush out there. But then I think, you know, in the postgame report, we find out he's like, well, you know, it, it, I felt it pop in and out. And, and he, to his credit, he didn't miss a snap, you know, the rest of the game. Knowing what we know now, seeing, you know, seeing the clip, seeing the replay, are we assuming that it was, in fact, an anterior subluxation with, with that term of I felt it pop in and out? Uh, I mean, absolutely. That's yeah. the prime positioning to mm-hmm. be at risk for that kind of injury, kind of having the arm kind of out extended mm-hmm. away from the body and getting getting hit more out towards the forearm or the elbow, mm-hmm. kind of forcing the arm back, which then forces the mm-hmm. shoulder forward. Yeah. Then you end up with that subluxation. So, you know, and, and not a lot of things where you get that that sensation of that, you know, I felt it pop out and pop back right. in. Um, you know, obviously it wasn't a full mm-hmm. dislocation because then likely, you know, we're talking about needing some assistance to get it pop back in occasionally you know sometimes you can get it back in on the field sometimes it needs you know a little more either anesthesia or you know sedation to get it back in depending on the situation but you know that subluxation where it pops out and pops back in you know pretty classically you'll see that that type of hit and you'll also get the, the player to admit that that's what they felt yeah. how different is this type of uh subluxation from what we discussed with fernando Tidis, other than the obvious the direction that it it subluxed you know i think it's just a little bit of a of a different entity all right um number one is yeah the direction yeah. where anterior is the front it went at the front the much much more common way for someone to have some instability in their shoulder uh, versus tatis where it went at the back um, i think with tatis is the, the the mechanism was very different mm-hmm. um and it's a mechanism that we're starting to see among baseball players or starting to recognize i should say mm-hmm. uh, among baseball players now I think that uh, recurrence rate, and this is just an opinion, this is not based in uh, science here, but I think recurrence rates for the anterior dislocation are probably overall higher. Those recurrence rates tend to have to do with the multiple factors, the main factor being age at which the first dislocation, subluxation slash dislocation happens. Um, and then uh, other, other factors that factor into that is that person's sort of baseline um, ligamentous laxity, just how flexible are they? The people that are a little more loosey-goosey and a little more flexible are more likely to have it happen again. And, the, and then lastly, one of the other big things there is um, the, the extent of the injury for, in that initial 
episode, right? Did did they tear the labrum? Um, did, so do they have something called a bankrupt lesion? Did they knock off a piece of bone uh, when that happened? Did they tear the capsule, something called a haggle lesion? So all of these things would then predispose and really, really increase the chances of it happening again. I think with the posterior dislocation, some of those things are probably far, far less likely. It's just quite simply labral tear or not, and um, probably less likely to happen again, albeit still relatively high, unfortunately. The three of us collectively have done a, a lot of sideline coverage, right, for, you know, all types of different sports. What, what is that initial uh, assessment for you guys like on the field? So if, if we look at that clip, he's, he's obviously talking to one of the physicians. What are you going through with, with the athlete at that moment? Yeah, well, so initial things you're ruling out in that area, obviously, is the full-on dislocation. Mm-hmm. You're going to be able to tell that mm-hmm. right off the bat they're going to be in screaming in your face yeah, <laughs> in significantly more pain kind of hanging with the arm at the side mm-hmm. like not one to lift it not one to move it right then you start to get down the line of all right well could they have a clavicle injury could they have an ac joint separation mm-hmm. you know you start to try to narrow down where they're complaining of pain and you start asking them about what they felt when it happened and mm-hmm. you, that's when you get into that kind of well i felt it kind of pop on me or mm-hmm. slide um shift you know, and, then, and at that point, you're you're assessing where their strength is at, um, you know, how much pain they have on testing mm-hmm. to try to decide whether or not it's safe for them to return to play or if they need to shut it down for the night and then, you know, figure it out in the days coming after the after the injury. So, uh, you know, I have kind of my own little protocol frequently with uh, when guys have this on the field. And for me, first time dislocator, if it's dislocated. Like they're done. Like I don't sure. let them go back out. Yeah. What are your thoughts on uh, on guys that um, this is their fifth time that their their shoulders come out or slid out and it kind of slides right back in, or is a subluxation event? Do you do you entertain the idea of letting that guy go back and play in the same game after it's back in, or if they're feeling a little bit better 15 minutes later? Um, I, my opinion is if they can show me full range of motion with full strength and no pain, yeah. then I'm I'm good. Yeah. But if they can't show me that you never know whether they've done more damage to that shoulder right. that would make it unsafe. So that's personally my opinion is if they can get back to full range of motion, full strength and no pain. Yeah. But well, I, I agree with you, but on the first time dislocator, I don't care if you're able to do that. You're, you're done, yeah. right? Like we don't want to risk further injury. We're going to give you every chance to hopefully scar this in and not go down a surgical pathway. And we're not getting you back in there. We're going to give you a little bit of time to heal this. Um, typically you go sling for a week, maybe 10 days get you out of the sling, get some therapy going. And, and you know, looking at three weeks, more likely up to six weeks of, of, of giving this a chance to really scar in and hopefully give you a chance of not re-dislocating again and going down the road of surgery. If this is the fourth, third or fourth time this happened to this guy, he's a multiple time dislocator, it's, it's not a new occurrence, and he's feeling pretty good and his strength is back and everything, like, oh, all right, go ahead, finish it up. I don't think, you know, there's a little bit of risk, but not tremendous risk. Yeah. And it's as much as can't take it completely into account. Sometimes it's looking at the player and, you know, is it their last game of their senior year? Is right. it their last the game of their sophomore year? Right. Right. You know, senior year kid, you might say, all right, this may be the last time you ever play football. Right. We'll see what we can do to get Let's you suck out. Suck it there. up. Yeah. You yeah. Know, sophomore a kid. Special moment, right? Shut you down and, you know, save it for another day. Lift the fight another day. Right. Yeah. From an athletic trainer standpoint, we, we don't typically have the luxury of having a physician on site for like youth events. So nine, 10, 11 year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've been to multiple different sports where covering that age group and you go out to attend to somebody and they always say like, 
I, I felt like it popped out. What is the likelihood of that happening in a 10, 11 year old? And is it all just subjective at that point? Um, I have to just assume what they're describing as what happened. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to take the kid for what he's, what he's mm -hmm. telling you. But, uh, you know, you, we certainly see that at a far less clip mm -hmm. in yeah. a, you know, 10, 12 year old, more skeletally immature right. Right. type type patients. Those, not that they can't happen, but my feeling would be if those that's happened to those kids, those are those kids that Steve mentioned that might be loose at baseline, yeah. you know, might have some sort of underlying, you know, collagen disorder that makes mm -hmm. them loose right so they're a little higher risk for that thing the, the the odds of seeing a kid that age um having a true dislocation or subluxation is probably pretty low mm -hmm. you're, you're you're more likely i think to see fractures and other injuries up around the shoulder in yeah. those kids there's something called a baton score a baton scale and um not necessarily for the younger kids but that's a that's a way of grading overall ligamentous laxity generalized ligamentous laxity and you test certain things you test can they touch their thumb to their forearm on the same wrist. You test how far they can bend their fingers back there. Do they hyperextend at the elbows and the knees? Can they put their hands flat on the floor while their knees are uh, locked out straight? And then um, there's a score. And if, if that score is high, they're at a higher risk, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're a high risk really for not just the anterior dislocation, but all dislocations, mm -hmm. multidirectional instability. Um, so that's something that we factor in one for recurrence of injury and two we factor in like decision making process from a surgical standpoint relating this back to baker mayfield um, we, we know that this was his left shoulder so his non-throwing shoulder i'm assuming this is a whole different conversation be if, if this is his right 100 percent. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> not even close right. no. So, so we know he, like i said he, he didn't miss a snap the rest of the game in week two he played in week three they had an impressive you know, pr pretty uh, <laughs> over the Bears. Um, yeah. a, a totally different conversation, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, when you're it's your throwing arm, even with just the injury, is going to make it difficult to throw. Right. Um, but then, especially when you start talking about surgical fixation, mm -hmm. um, you start worrying about over tightening. Yeah. Um, the area and Delicate. them never throwing again to the level that they they did before. Right. And you know. The most now his wasn't completely the typical anterior inferior, but the most famous person with this would have to be Drew Brees, who he had the even more rare, just inferior dislocation. So straight the ball inferior came straight down. So if you pull up the video, he walks off the field with his arm up, elbow up above his shoulder because mm -hmm. he can't put it down because mm -hmm. the ball's out the bottom, forcing right. his elbow up, and he tore that labrum, which we talk about being damaged, 360 degrees the whole way around. And also damaged his rotator cuff. Right. And, you know, unfortunately for the Dolphins, their staff failed him in his physical yeah. after that, <laughs> thinking he'd never be the same guy he was before. Right. Which Nailed was it. Probably 20 teams out there would have mm -hmm. done the same thing. Right. You know, you can't fault them for it, but mm -hmm. man, then you look what he did with this. Look at yeah, that the career. Saints afterwards. Right. Not so bad. And they have to be kicking themselves. But where I, where I did my residency, it's, it's a fairly uncommon injury, right? Yeah. And where I did my residency, we're two blocks from the from the beach. And sure enough, someone comes walking in, they're out body surfing, both arms up in the air, luxury, <laughs> oh. bilateral. They got dumped <laughs> on their heads. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy one. Given that we're, we're heading into week four, what does the you know remaining 13 weeks look like for Baker Mayfield? Is he going the Fernando route where he's weekly you know, sessions with the PT staff uh, to get them through the rest of the season? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, 
strengthening range of motion, any, mm-hmm. you know, modalities they can offer them to try to keep this thing um, feeling good. And then the question becomes game day, you know, depending on how he's feeling, do you, do you put them in a brace? You know, there's some braces that, that limit your ability to get into the position, your mm-hmm. arm into the position that would put it at, at, at risk. risk. Yeah. Um, and then with a, with a quarterback, you could, that's not a position they normally would get in. Right. So it's not unreasonable to put them in a brace. Mm-hmm. Doesn't work if it's his throwing arm. Right. Correct. They wouldn't yeah. be able to throw with it, but their yeah. non-throwing arm, they should, they, you know, he should be fine as far as that. And then, you know, it's going to end up talking about severity and how he feels at the end of the year. Um, being a professional athlete, I'm sure he's had an MRI already. They yeah. know what's going on in there. And then it's going to be a question of, does it happen anymore between now mm-hmm. and the end of the season? Right. You know, does it, you know, if it happens this one time and the MRI doesn't look too bad, they may try to just see how they do. Yeah. But if it becomes, you know, where it happens in, you know, week eight, week 15, mm-hmm. you know, they may repeat the MRI. Yeah. Or they may say, you know what? We should go in and take care of this thing and get it fixed and, and move on. And those uh, braces you meant with the uh, or you mentioned the play, like like something like the Sully Sully stabilizer. Yeah, the Sully or Sawa yeah. type brace, mm-hmm. and they they basically kind of limit your ability to get your arm right. kind of away from the body, yeah. and then rotating your arms up. Um, so depending on your position, it mm-hmm. can be difficult to wear that kind yeah. of brace and still try to play yeah. you know cornerbacks wide receivers have a difficulty because that limits their ability to reach up over their head to catch a ball yeah safeties are somewhere in the middle you know most of their stuff they can do okay but some pass breakups things like that are going to be difficult so we really don't know i mean we're we're going to watch the rest of the season then in your opinion to see how he progresses and if he has you know m- multiple subluxations throughout I, I guess it's really hard to to guess whether or not we see any type of postseason intervention yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I I think the only thing that would be glaring to us from here on out is if he ended up with a full dislocation at some yeah. point. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I mean, a, minor little subluxations, things like that, we may never hear about. Even living in Cleveland, they may never know. I have a uh, suspicion that in the in that scenario, as it unwinds the next time around, he's just letting that guy run right past him. Like right. he's not trying to, <laughs> yeah. you know, which which is what. They're, to, yeah. they're taught to do like, hey, you know what? Yeah. You're too important. Don't try to tackle yeah. the guy. Of course, pride gets in the way. They want to be, they want to be the not not the hero, but they're they're, they're pissed. They through the, yeah. the interception. They they don't want this guy scoring, and they're they're going to do everything they can to stop him. They're football players, right? Let's just assume things play out for the rest of the season, and we find out that Baker Mayfield is in fact going to need surgery at the end of it. What does that surgery look like, and what what are we hoping to accomplish from that? Sure. Uh, I mean, a majority of the time that that surgery can be handled arthroscopically. So meaning, you know, through small holes around the shoulder, using a camera for visualization. And and basically, you know, as we referenced in the, the Tatis show, you know, what we're talking about mainly is what's called the labrum, which is the rim of tissue around the socket that functions, I think, as Steve mentioned, almost like a gasket. You know, you think about the shoulders, a ball and socket, the ball is significantly larger than the socket, mm-hmm. almost like a golf ball, the golf tee. So the labrum is around there to give some extra stability mm-hmm. and acts as that gasket or bumper to keep the shoulder stable. So, you know, oftentimes when you have this injury, either that, that labrum will be completely peeled away. Um, if it's been a while, sometimes it kind of falls down below the level of the socket and scars in down there. So, so what you need to do is is kind of bring it back up and recreate that that bumper. And you do that by putting little anchors in the bone and that have suture and tying that back down. And then depending on the severity, you know, you may include grabbing some of that capsule that Steve referenced before to tighten things down even a little further, make it a little more stable. 
And that's the traditional way mm -hmm. to look at things. Now things change if he has a bony injury where there's, you know, what we would call a bony bank heart. Then, you know, it gets a little more in depth. And, so, and then also if it's more of a chronic issue and you start to lose some of that bone right. on that glenoid, well, then, then you're talking about even bigger surgery where you need to maybe find some, some bone from somewhere else and Move it re over. reconstruct that area, give it a little more bony surface to, to work with. Um, hard to think that with a simple subluxation that Baker would be looking at something like that. But. Of course. Right. That is sort of the argument for being a little more aggressive about these. Again, not, not in this particular situation with, with Baker, with a sub, one subluxation event on that shoulder. But um, in this scenario, younger patient, maybe under the age of 20, around the age of 20, um, had a dislocation, um, potentially going down that road the first time, uh, um, especially if there's a piece of bone involved, or, or once you have that second or third dislocation, like that's the, the, um, the impetus for doing the surgery a little bit sooner and not just waiting to let it happen over and over again, because the, bear, the bone does begin to wear down a little bit there at the front. The socket's not quite as big, and all of a sudden you can go from a scenario where you were able to fix it arthroscopically with poke holes in a, what we call a soft tissue procedure where you're pulling the labrum back up and tacking it back down. Um, you go into a scenario where all of a sudden now you need a bony procedure. There's something called the ISS, the Injury uh, Instability Severity Score, and um, we can go through a number of different scenarios or different criteria for the for the particular patient as well as get you know you get a ct scan of their shoulder and see just how much bone stock is left on that on that socket on the glenoid and that sort of helps determine all right does this person have a pretty good chance of getting getting this fixed and healed which usually they do with a with an arthroscopic procedure uh, a soft tissue procedure or is it going to go in a totally different direction which is a much bigger surgery um, where usually it's done open you can do some of them arthroscopically but usually it's done as an open procedure and you're either cutting off a piece of bone and moving it over or taking a piece of bone from uh, a cadaver and allograft and, um, and plugging it on there to fill the void on a socket that's that's deficient and that's a much bigger procedure has a probably has more risk and uh, more potential complications more potential issues than, than being able to accomplish it uh, arthroscopically can we draw any type of conclusions from the fact that as we mentioned he hasn't missed a single snap since the injury um, I, I think that probably leads to severity I mean the odds of him having a, a bony injury because like I said as oh, a, yeah. a, a Baker Mayfield had an MRI yeah, I mean, we yeah. may not know. We may not know what the results are, but you know, th these guys aren't messing around with this. They're you got it half time. No, yeah, no. right. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we you can probably take away that this is probably more of a soft mm -hmm. tissue injury. Yeah. Um, that the likelihood of any bony involvement is pretty small. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm extrapolating that's, there. That's a good yeah, but that's that's a good thing for him. Mm -hmm. It's not just the fact that he's a professional mm -hmm. athlete, the starting quarterback, you know, pain tolerance, anything like that. It, well, I mean, I'm sure that's that helps factor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, you, you get into, you know, are they doing any sort of, you know, from an anti-inflammatory standpoint? Mm -hmm. The NFL has kind of been cracking down on that stuff yeah. to try yeah. and get away from, you know, the pre pre-game anti-inflammatory injections and things of that nature to, to just kind of get guys through because they know the long-term effects. Right. And right. assuming this is also subluxation, not dislocation. Mm -hmm albeit uncomfortable, probably not horribly painful, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's not to take away from what he was able to accomplish, yeah. right? Like, right. like, you know, give him credit, but, but again, probably not agonizing the way, we, the way it is when we see the guys who actually have that dislocation that you have to pop back in.
So I think the big thing that we're like, you know, as we just uh, summarize here, like we're just going to kind of keep an eye on whether or not this is a recurring thing throughout the season. And, and if not, then we expect the best for him. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you hope he doesn't need any surgical fixation, but we know that football players are probably the highest risk population for recurrence. Although his position is probably one of the lower risk for recurrence in the non. I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. Not, not thrown on. You know, he's not routinely trying to tackle. And, this whole conversation, I feel like we've been sort of swaying it towards, you know, high recurrence rate and then fixing it after that, you no know, surgical intervention. Not every time. You can still, people do physical therapy um, and sometimes never have another problem ever again in their entire life right. with it. So that's something to consider as well. Let's get down to the fun stuff because I think this is a rare occurrence where uh, the three of us here on the show tonight are all in the same fantasy football league. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have, and one of us I, is in first. I don't think that's happened since Dr. <laughs> Brand. Apparently, Dr. Frey's in first. I didn't know that. But um, Dr. Murray, how's your team looking for the ultra competitive but all in good fun recon league? Uh, I'm not too bad. Too yeah. bad. I think I'm two and one. Um, you know, tough loss this week. But uh, oh no, sorry, I'm one and two. <laughs> lie. But uh, but I've been competitive. Right. I got my first win this week in this league. Uh, took down Dr. Brandt. Well done. Um, Good so, team. So, uh, you know, finally finally put it together. Uh, so it's nice to get a win. Here I am bragging. Truth is, I actually have not scored all that well the last two weeks. <laughs> just before, I was just fortunate enough to play people that scored less. Right. <laughs> let's, go, uh, let's go around the table. I, I think the biggest uh, fantasy, you know, effect that we had was the injury to Christian McCaffrey. And uh, a hamstring strain, and we've covered that uh, with James Harden, I believe, yeah. right? Um, and they're hard to predict, as we had talked about in that episode, right? And especially if you look back at uh, Christian's history, I mean, he had that quad tear last year that he missed eight to nine weeks, I believe it was. I mean, he only ended up playing about four games last year. Right. I don't know if that's any, you know, if we can draw any kind of conclusions from that. To me, I have him in a different league. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not looking at, I, I think they said they're estimating four weeks. Uh, my guess is we're probably looking at six. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, we talk about how these things are all over the map. And this is one of those ones where uh, I've said I've said it a thousand times before where the devil's in the details, right? Because mm -hmm. there can be a ton of variation. You know, there you can have this injury be back in a week or two. You can have this injury and, and miss the rest of the season because you just can't get it right. I don't know if this was a proximal hamstring mm -hmm. um, strain or tear or partial tear, if it was muscular tendon disjunction, if it was mid-belly, really, really, you know, all of those different things, really extreme variations. Um, if they're estimating four weeks, you know, it, could it be? Yeah, mm -hmm. I have a feeling you're going to wind up being right. If I, yeah. Again, devil's in the details, just sort of guessing blindly, but I think six weeks is a pretty, pretty solid estimate. And even... If and when, right? You know, is this one of those things that can just nag? I you know, know you mm. just quite can't quite get to that top speed for I the rest of that season. You know, I until you can really shut it down. And, and I think I'm there, care. and then you go back out, and you're not there. Yeah, and then it's more time. Right? Yeah, yeah. AJ Brown was another one, uh, wide receiver from the Titans. Same thing. I mean, I, we even though he was undressed at halftime back in his street clothes on the sidelines, same scenario. I'm assuming we just don't really know the details, but. They never seem to just bounce back in a so week. I, I was on call this weekend. I missed a lot of action. I don't actually know what, what was the injury that he had. Hamstring. Hamstring. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. same as well. That's why I, I grouped him and CMC together. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's 
it's rare that you hear people undergoing anything surgically for these. I mean, it's pretty yeah. rare that we operate on these. It yeah. does happen, but yeah. that almost sometimes makes some injuries more frustrating. Ones that can't be mm-hmm. fixed, they just need time. And right. They need to, to see how the player yeah. responds, yeah. how well, their body responds. And just like you said, you always think you're close and you test it out and then you set yourself back. And, right. I, and then I'm not even sure they ever really feel 100% again after something significant, you know? And it's like you're waiting and it waiting. And it's like, I, I don't know if you're ever going to get to 100%. It's, right. it's never, maybe not ever quite feel the same. Right. That's just my experience. Right. But and a year or two later, they're like, oh, yeah, finally. I right. Feel, yeah. Right. And, 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 and there's a big difference right, between a tear and, and, and a strain. And we're assuming when we talk about mm-hmm. these, these are the strains. But if they're tears, not all of them need to be fixed. But the ones that do, it can take a lot longer. Yeah. D. Millar ripped me for taking three running backs with my first three picks uh, a, few, a few episodes ago. But <laughs> this is exactly why I take three running backs. My first pick was Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. But I'm always like, I, I just feel like you always want to be able to say, I'm putting out two respectable running backs in your lineup and this is exactly why i took gus edwards figuring right <laughs> dobbins was down and i didn't even make it to the season before right. he was done so unbelievable <laughs> another injury i mean we, we actually touched on it last week dr Frey, you and i uh mm-hmm. these rib injuries and we actually saw two more of them this week gronkowski goes down it's and, an epidemic yeah and his looked bad at first um it, he's just old <laughs> or is he that tough? I mean, <laughs> I gotta give him a lot of credit. He, he came back and finished the game, uh, but also uh, Dr. Frey, your Steelers, Juju Smith-Schuster. <sighs> yeah, yeah and, and like we had talked about last week, right? The, the rib injuries seem really hard to predict as well. Yeah, yeah, and I, I did find it interesting that they said that Gronk doesn't choose to wear any rib protection no. on a regular basis. He doesn't. Yeah. You know, I'm assuming he will probably the rest of this <laughs> season, or at least for a few weeks. Yeah, right. Uh, I find it. Hard to believe that he won't play in Foxborough. Right. I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah. I know. Is he going to find a way out there? You think? Yeah, I, think so. <laughs> I mean, if, if they were playing the Jets this weekend, yeah, he might he might sit, hang out, <laughs> you know, or maybe he goes out and picks yeah. off Zach Wilson. I don't know. You know, and we we talked about that as uh, you know the rib injuries as a, as, a, as a as a show, but but the truth is, it's, it's like there's so much variability. And a lot of it is the same in the end. Like, like there's different gradations of it, but in the end, it's it, it's you know, give it a little bit of time. Even if it's broken, let it heal, and then you're better. Like, like it's not. Well, then you probably missed because of being on call, and I don't know if you saw it, Jason, mm-hmm. either, because it's a little on not the, you know, Power Five conference stuff, but Rich Rodriguez, the former coach from Michigan and, and right. West Virginia, mm-hmm. yeah. his son's in the ICU um, with mm-hmm. a lung injury. They didn't say specifically, but you got to assume that he probably took a shot to the ribs and yeah. punctured a lung. That's next level. From that, though. yeah. Right, right. And so Tyrod Taylor last goes. Yeah. Well, that was an injection. Yeah, from, yeah. Well, we'll, well, we'll we won't go there. go there. But um, but yeah. But so mm-hmm. they noted. You know, they didn't come out with the whole story. But mm-hmm. why else would he be in the? You know, he's a quarterback for uh, Louisiana Monroe, which is where Rodriguez is coaching mm-hmm. now. Right. You know, why else would he be in the ICU with a lung injury other than? solid shot to the ribs that, that yeah. cause that thing. So yeah, it can go from little bruise all yeah. the way up to, you know, chest tube. Yeah. And quite painful along the way for yeah. sure. For sure. And then there's also an entity, um, I think it's more of a trauma type of entity, something called a flail chest where you break multiple ribs. Right. And then you have this scenario where rib cage tends to it's there and it's, uh, so the muscles that are, 
up against it or help to, and I'm not sure how we got down this, this, this line, <laughs> but, but the, it helps the lungs expand. But if, the, if, the, if you have multiple ribs that are broken, you don't have that sort of that framework from which the muscles to pull. And so instead of the lungs expanding, the, the ribs just collapse in. And that's, that's a whole nother scenario. That's a bad problem. Um, so right, it could be pretty severe. Typically, that's not what we're seeing when we see these guys in the NFL who say, all right, rib injury, you're out a week, you're out two weeks, you're out four weeks. Um, uh, you know, play with pain, but, but yeah, no, I guess it can go pretty severe. And last one, uh, this is the second time in the last, uh, what, three episodes where we had just the absolute right doctor to throw a curveball <laughs> at, um, Dr. Mary is our hip and shoulder specialist, James White with the hip subluxation. Yeah. N I mean, not a good thing. No. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, you know, in that case, you, you, hope for subluxation over dislocation mm -hmm. yeah you know because again you start to worry about associated bony injuries you right. know along no the fracture, lines of Tua yeah. right. you know when he was at Alabama and, mm -hmm. and having the full-on dislocation and having you know an acetabular fracture a fracture of the socket versus more you know soft tissue injury injury to the labrum so things of that nature before we go too far down the road are you impressed or are you surprised that Tua has been able to now? I know he had. He's know, got a rib injury too. Yeah, I know. But, but <laughs> right. aside from the rib injury, that he's been able to come back and he's been able to play in the NFL and has looked pretty good when he has played uh, after that Alabama. Because you know, of the hip or the bilateral ankles? Or? Yeah, yeah, because of the hip. Because I mean, of the hip. And you think he looks good, by the way? The, I don't It's <laughs> pretty good. No, yeah. No, yeah. no I, I know what you mean. He yeah. looks mobile. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's impressive because, you know, you go back to one of what's considered one of the greatest athletes of all time right bo jackson yeah. was done devastating you know devastating injury for him so you know the second you see that injury for somebody you worry that that's where they're gonna the path they're gonna end up down sure. and you don't know for sure sometimes yeah. it's just time right you just gotta let it play out and see are they gonna develop AVN avascular necrosis yeah. where that bone you know dies not much you're gonna do if that happens you know um and so far it seems like he's been okay as far as that and so it's very impressive how will hip, his hip will look in 15 20 years who knows but I'm sure he doesn't care right now at that point <laughs> retired right yeah <laughs> dr Murray, james white right now we just know he's out indefinitely timetable on that type yeah of stuff. i mean, I mean so I season think it depends ending on it could be yeah um not unrealistic to mm -hmm. think it is again it's going to kind of come down to those details that steve talks about you know how how much damage did he really cause in there mm -hmm. um you know if there's bony injury yeah he's done um, I think yeah. we probably would have heard that by now. Mm. Um, you know, labor issue, they may be able to get him through and, and yeah. reevaluate at the end of the year and see how he's doing. Yeah. Hey, so before before we uh, wrap it up, I do want to make a quick mention. There's uh, and we, we've mentioned his name in, in uh, previous shows when we talked about ACL injuries, but uh, a physician named Freddie Fu, who's a physician who's uh, you know head of orthopedics in uh, UPMC at Pitt and has done you know I guess immeasurable work within the orthopedic community I don't I suspect that there's not an orthopedic surgeon in the country where if you mention Freddie Fu's name that the orthopedic surgeon doesn't know who he is and maybe he, in the world maybe in the world right yeah and recently passed away um, a tireless worker um, who has really made huge contributions and sort of sad you know 70 years old yep. yeah yeah so sad to see him go and just want to do acknowledge uh, you know what, what what he has done for the world of orthopedics all right well i think that's going to go ahead and wrap things up for this evening before we go ahead and close out our tab we want to take a moment to thank our sponsors reconstructive orthopedics with our eight locations and focused on you approach covering all of your orthopedic needs the energy lab the region's premier sports performance destination 
Neck of the Woods for hosting us each and every week, located here at 614 Lambs Road, Pittman, New Jersey. And our good friends at Timber Reel Productions, Joe Warner, our on-site producer, and Kyle Miller, editor. Dr. Mary, Dr. Frey, this was fun. Have a good night, man. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time.